0: Hey, y'all, this is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, New York Times immigration reporter, Caitlin Dickerson, and Morning Edition host, David Green. All right, let's start the show.
1: Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. I'm here with David Green right next to me in studio broadcasting from NPR West in Culver City, California. Uh, and in New York, joined by Caitlin Dickerson. Uh, has the snow melted there yet?
2: Yes, mostly. It's <laughs> sunny outside, it's nice outside. There's still a fair amount of black sludge on the ground. Oh, that'll
1: be there for that a while. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, as Aunt Betty said, Caitlin covers immigration for a little small startup newspaper called the New York Times. And David Green, besides hosting Morning Edition for NPR, he hosts my favorite morning podcast, Up First. Thank you, Sam. You pull double duty every week. Every day. So, you guys, this song is special just for this week because there's news around the band that did this song. You know the song and the band? Blink
2: 182.
1: Yes, Blink 182. Nice, Caitlin. Uh, good job. This is like from my TRL days, way back when. Uh, this is a song called All the Small Things from their 1999 classic album. Enema of the state um, <laughs> And I'm playing This song today Because just this week Blink 182 Announced that They are going To Vegas <gasps> When?
3: They are Give starting A the Las
1: Vegas residency At the Palms Casino Resort 16 dates The show is going To be called Kings of the Weekend It starts in May
2: I was so worried You were going to say The news was sad I no, love Travis so much <laughs> And I wanted to go To a Blink 182 concert With my best friends When I was growing up And our mothers Wouldn't let us well, Now's, now's well, your
1: now's, you're time you're now coming your with time. us. Yeah So Mark Hoppus, the bassist for Blink 182, he said, quote, When the Palms asked us to do a residency here in Vegas, we said absolutely. Now we just have to cast our showgirls, make our set list, a true throwback of Vegas classics with Sinatra, Liberace, maybe we can even marry someone on stage. The possibilities in Vegas are endless. That's lovely. Oh, my. I, for one, cannot wait to enter the Vegas phase of my career. (laughs) When is your show open? Listen. In Vegas. Hopefully at tomorrow. Poll. Twenty fifteen. 20, yeah. yeah. Seven. Yeah. So let's get into it. We are each going to describe how the week of news and everything else felt for us in only three words. David, do you have three words? I do. People are people. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have felt
3: there have been these these stories this week that have made me think that people forget that people are people. Um, okay. And one of them is immigration. And and if you listen to all these conversations among Republicans and Democrats about this omnibus spending bill and whether to put DACA in it, DACA protections, I mean, it's like you have... President Trump saying like, well, you know, I'm ready to protect the dreamers if you give me more money for my border wall. And you have Democrats saying, you know, the White House is showing no leadership. So if we can't put DACA in there, then we're not just not going to put DACA in there. You, you you forget that these are real people. people. They are lives
1: who have um, been in yeah. flux, in flux since that March 5th so deadline and before long. Yeah. And,
3: and it's just you. You have both parties saying that, you know, they want to do something.
1: And, and most of the country says fix this. Do
3: something. And they become just a political football. Um, yeah. So there was another just shocking story. It was a uh, our NPR colleague Ruth sherlock was was reporting on it. Um it is open slave markets in Libya. These really? are migrants from different countries uh-huh. in Africa who uh-huh. are trying to get to Europe. And it's been, you know, a, a torturous journey for so many as, as we've yeah. known. But increasingly, they are arriving in Libya and instead of getting smuggled to Europe, Mm -hmm. they are ending up sold as slaves. To who? To people who use them for work. What kind of work? There was, I mean, farm work and other stuff. There was one guy who was in one of the stories that that Ruth did and and he said, I am a human being just Mm -hmm. like him. Talking about the guy who had enslaved him. Jesus. This is 2018. Yeah, wow. I mean, I know there's, there's, I mean, there's human trafficking and, and there's stuff that is still shocking and alarming every day in this world. But that just, that just it boggles got me. the The mind. UN said open slave markets out,
2: out in the open like that.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's who, who, how do we as a
1: society, yeah, allow this? Well, and like, and one, it's like, well, who steps up to stop it? Yeah,
3: and it's, it's, and it's tough because I mean, Libya is an absolute mess. And yeah, um,
1: yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Like, people are people. Come on, People are people. Yeah. Let's just remember that. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, like, just an interesting caveat going back to what you were saying earlier about folks that are recipients of, of DACA. Um, there is no fix for it in this spending bill. No. It remains to be seen if anyone's actually going to figure out a permanent fix for them
3: even though both parties say they want to I
1: mean it's
2: amazing and I talk to these kids all the time I I especially think about ones who are right now applying for college and in some states they might not actually be able to attend college if they don't have legal status but in other places it's just things like in-state tuition but that can be I mean that can be like double or triple you know the cost of your education and you know I think that people just start to talk about dreamers Mm -hmm. in this very general sense Mm -hmm. and don't spend as much time thinking about the specific ways in which their lives are totally all over the place right now
1: yeah so caitlin what are your three words
2: okay don't get mad at me i have four words four my words this week are couldn't help but wonder
1: that's, that's a lot of words okay caitlin. let me explain
2: why i can't believe you you don't recognize these words couldn't help but wonder is the signature catchphrase of Carrie Bradshaw in Sex in the City. Oh. It's her most overused writing trope. She puts it in almost every single column. So, mm-hmm. of course, these are my words this week because, one, Cynthia Nixon, a.k.a. Miranda Hobbs on Sex in the City, yeah. and she's running for governor in New York. And that made me think I couldn't help but wonder, hmm. you know, have we reached a kind of turning point for me actually the thinking started right after the Golden Globes when Oprah made her big speech and then everybody started talking about Oprah for president Mm -hmm. and I caught myself because my reaction immediately I sort of thought Oprah for president like huh instead of saying what why no qualifications that doesn't make any sense like and and then i caught myself and was like wait is this totally normalized now i think so and in the same way when cynthia nixon announced she was running for governor i was like sure of course course, makes perfect sense
1: you know what i find so odd about it is that the very people who lambasted trump when he ran for having no experience Mm -hmm. and being from the entertainment world now support liberals like oprah and cynthia nixon who also don't have that much experience
2: Exactly. And listen, listen, like there's something to it. They're very good communicators. They're very compelling. You know, I I couldn't envision Cynthia Nixon in in, in sort of campaigning or rallying. And then you look at her video. It's like it's incredibly polished. And then she does that thing at the end where she looks straight into the camera, which I feel like only an actor, like a (laughs) a really good actor could really pull off. And the other thing that I couldn't help but wonder about this week, and Uh I I imagine you guys feel similarly, is that, you know, this March for Our Lives is happening on Saturday. The Stoneman Douglas kids who are campaigning for gun control are going to march on Washington and all over the country. Half a million people at least are expected in Washington. And what I'm wondering and what I think everybody is wondering is, you know, are they actually going to be successful? They're doing Mm -hmm. something very different and hearing stories about what it's like inside their movement to me is fascinating you know like parents and adults offer them help and they say like no 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 we don't want anything from you the only thing that we would allow you to do is like order us pizza you know a a writer Charlotte Alter who's a friend of mine she wrote the Time Magazine cover story about them this week and she actually likens them to Trump and she says you know they go on Twitter they go on Twitter and they like lob sick burns at people (laughs) who are you know NRA activists or, or politicians who oppose them like they, they're very, very good, again, at communicating online yeah. and being really provocative. And they're not in any way encumbered by the social mores that keep adults from actually saying how they feel or most adults from actually saying how they feel. Yeah. And so what I can't help but wonder is, you know, are they making a bad or or a not strategic choice by not taking advice from professional adults who do this for a living? Or is that like just what it's going to take to yeah. finally change one of the most intractable policy issues in this country?
3: It's yeah. a moment. No matter where this goes, these kids are have created a moment. Even oh, if yeah. you disagree with everything they're fighting for, it's like you're paying you attention. have to step back, you're paying attention. You're like, that's courage. That's yeah. teenagers. I couldn't do it. No, I, I could not imagine myself doing this yeah. as a
1: as a sixteen or seventeen year old. No yeah. way. You guys, I have three words. Give it to us, Sam. It's the same word three times. Data, data, data. Can you do that? Can you use the same? I don't think? three different words? You set the, the rules. The referees I mean, in the studio have not called me out. Data, data, I, data. I broke the okay. rules, so I'm good at yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So the first data story that I got caught up with this week was a little wrinkle in this big omnibus spending bill that President Trump just signed. There's some language in there that might make it easier for the Centers for Disease Control to do research on gun violence. This is a big deal because the CDC hasn't really been able to do that since about 1996. That was when Congress passed what they called the Dickey Amendment, and it basically killed funding for guns research. And this is going to sound confusing, but this new language in the Omnibus Bill, it does not get rid of that Dickey Amendment, but this bill does include language saying that the CDC now does have the authority to do research on the causes of gun violence. So some folks are saying this is a big win, but uh, just to make it clear, people that actually study this stuff are kind of skeptical that anything will change because of it, in part because there's no actual allocation of funds in this bill to actually pay for the research that it now allows.
3: It's allowed, but there's no money for it. There you go. Uh Interesting. Yeah,
1: so that's the first data story. My second data, data, data story is about... Whether or not having a lot of data is actually useful. Mm. Uh, We have all been talking this week about Cambridge Analytica, this uh, technology firm that contracted out to the Trump campaign in the last election uh, and obtained personal data on some 50 million Facebook users through a not ethical, perhaps not legal way. Mm -hmm. Probably some of us. Like if we had friends who agreed to that that app or whatever, Um, I'm sure. Yeah, And so the coverage of how they got this data, what they were trying to do with the data, how they worked, it's really crazy. But one thing I've questioned in our coverage of this story is whether or not the data they got was good, Hmm. we don't know yet. So the big distinction in the data that Cambridge Analytica had was that it was psychographic targeting, not demographic targeting. So Mm -hmm. to break it down simply, demographic targeting means an advertiser can predict based on who you are, what race you are, how old you are, what you might buy. Hmm. Psychographic data says based on your personality traits, we can predict what you buy. If you're neurotic, you might want to buy this. If you're an artist, you might want to buy that. That's the kind of data that Cambridge Analytica said they had. But here's the thing. Every anecdote of people that have worked with this firm before say that data that they gathered wasn't that good. Hmm. So they briefly worked with Ted Cruz's campaign for president back in 2016. And um, turns out that well, half— that didn't work out. Yeah. One, he lost. Two, half the voters that they ID'd as Cruz supporters actually favored other candidates. So there were former Trump campaign aides who earlier this month said that— the data from this firm was a little bit less effective than just the generic RNC data system. So I think it's totally fine to look at what this firm is doing with our personal data and say, that feels creepy. But we shouldn't assume that just because it was creepy, that the data was right.
3: (laughs) I'm glad you brought this Mm -hmm. up because we were like the whole narrative just rushed to this oh, sort of yeah. conclusion it was like oh like, this firm got this data yeah. and influenced an election yeah and we were yeah. we were on our show every morning like being really careful be like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. roll like, it back Let's there's different things to look at here exactly. like the ethical question like should they have been able to get it yes but also like they're denying that that it actually meant anything and ask the question did it
2: and i don't know about you guys but the other thing about that story for me mm-hmm. and i hope this doesn't make me sound naive but i feel like i, I don't worry i mean i I don't want to say I don't worry, I care, but I assume that anything that I put on the internet, really anything that I even put on Mm -hmm. a device, I just assume that if somebody doesn't have it now, they're going to have it one day. And that includes like photos and texts and emails. I'm just, so I've heard about enough data breaches now that it's like, it's easier for me to just operate from the perspective that whatever I put onto an electronic device is going to be one day accessible to the public. just helps me sleep better at night.
1: All right guys, time for a break coming up. We will catch up on the latest with immigration policy and sanctuary cities. We'll play my favorite game, who said that? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders and we'll be right back.
0: Support for NPR and the following message come from Netflix, presenting the film Paradox. Daryl Hannah's debut feature-length film builds on the success of her short that won a jury prize at the Berlin Film Festival in 1993. Starring Neil Young, Micah Nelson, and Lucas Nelson, Paradox is Hannah's personal expression of music and love. Paradox is now available to stream on Netflix.
2: Ever find yourself saying, that happened this week? us too. All the time. I'm Tamara Keith, host of the NPR Politics Podcast, where we follow the political twists and turns and break down what it all means. Find us on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Quick plug for a very special competition at NPR going on right now. It's our Tiny Desk Contest. Uh, So... Some of the greatest artists in music have played behind NPR's Tiny Desk with Bob Boylan as their host at NPR headquarters in D.C. Uh, here's the thing, though, listeners. You could be next. You could play that Tiny Desk. We're having a contest for anyone who wants to apply. All you have to do is send a video of you performing one song, and there has to be a desk in the video. Uh, there's all the info at npr.org slash tinydeskcontest. The contest closes this Sunday, so get on it, folks. Uh, Submit your stuff. You could hang out at NPR and play your songs for the world. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two great guests. Tell them who you are.
2: I'm Caitlin Dickerson, cover immigration for The New York Times. Former colleague of Sam and David Green's.
3: Yeah. I'm David Green, the president of the Caitlin Dickerson fan club. Oh, God. And
1: uh, I host <laughs> Morning Edition and a podcast up first. You guys, a quick question before we hop back into the news. You ready? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. This week, uh, Blockbuster closed one of its stores in Alaska, which means that now there are only five functioning Blockbuster stores left in the whole country. Which isn't that oh the news gosh. that there are five? Right, I was say, where are the five? Like,
3: I know. all the stores five? open?
1: Yeah. So my question to you both, given this news, is: if you can remember, what's the last movie you rented at a blockbuster?
2: <gasps> David, you go first.
1: I
3: cannot remember the last movie I rented. What it was, but I can remember. I forgot to return it. And How much was, was a blockbuster. Fee? It was like several hundred dollars. <laughs> and I had to fight it because I like, I can't remember what my excuse was, but it was, it was a blockbuster in, in Washington, DC. And I went there and I like tried to rent another movie and they were like, you have a, you have a bill of like $200. I was like, excuse me. I, like, I swear to God, like I threw you that in. I put out that the out. I, I didn't pay it. I don't remember yeah, why. Don't pay
1: that. And so I'm. So
2: you're the reason that blockbuster. Like, reason blockbuster is
1: yeah. Thank you. Caitlin, what about you?
2: Oh my gosh. It would surely be something really embarrassing. I was a big renter of anything with the Olsen twins, for sure. Nice.
1: That's fine. Listen, I saw the one where they were in New York trying to, like, get out, like get around Manhattan and do stuff. New yeah, York yeah, Minute.
2: Yeah. <laughs> New York Minute and there's <laughs> a billboard. Don't they paint over the billboard I in the middle so of the night?
1: I something. Yeah, yeah. Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance, where we call someone out in the country or the world and ask them about what's going on in their neck of the woods. And you guys, today it's a Skype call, and it is actually to settle an issue of contention from last week's episode. Um, It's all about which country is actually the happiest country in the world. We will explain, trust me, here's my call with Bridget Palmer from Finland. Hello. Hey, how are you? This is Sam.
4: Oh my gosh, hi. Uh,
1: So Bridget, we called you up because last week on the show... One of my panelists, Hannah Rosen, uh, she's the host of NPR's Invisibilia. She said that she thinks it's unfair that your current home country, Finland, gets to be ranked the number one happiest country in the world we actually have the tape for you right here
4: you know what they need some diversity in that index metric situation because it ends up being countries that are homogenous and have really strong social safety nets because they're really diverse and resist letting immigrants in (laughs) i feel like it's totally unfair it always ends up being like
1: denmark sweden norway finland so i want you to be able to respond to that Yes. first i want to let folks know a little bit more about you so you are not originally from finland
2: No,
4: I'm from the United States. I'm from Portland, Oregon.
1: Okay. I like Portland. How long have you been in Finland?
4: We've been here for almost three years.
1: Okay. What do you do out there?
4: I work at the University of Turku. It's like the third or fourth biggest city in in Finland, just about two hours west of Helsinki.
1: Very cool. So this ranking came out recently. Uh, Finland was ranked number one on the list of happiest countries in the world. What's like the secret sauce? What for you are the ingredients <laughs> to this number one status?
4: Oh gosh, well, I think finns are 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 people in in my opinion they're they're so connected to nature, and Finland is full of just beautiful places to go, and you know it really doesn't take much to please you if if what you enjoy is nature, then there's plenty of that here. I think that's a big part of it,
1: yeah, when you got there, what three years ago from the u s did you immediately feel happier?
4: <laughs> well, of course, it's always stressful to move and to I'm move sure. to a foreign country. Yeah. yeah, I had heard all this about Finns being cold or or quiet or distant, so I wasn't quite sure what I would find. But w- what I did find was they're so welcoming hmm. and really so warm. They are quiet, but it's a really it's a really warm quiet. If that makes sense,
1: a warm quiet. That actually sounds pretty happy to me. Okay.
4: Yes. It's really, it was really nice. Yeah. Okay.
1: So, you know, my colleague that I had on the show last week, Hanna Rosen, she said it's kind of unfair <laughs> that a country like Finland is number one, and she thinks it's because countries like Finland are, in her opinion, pretty homogenous and kind of wealthy with a strong social safety net. Um, do you think that there is some merit to her argument that... uh the data is skewed in favor of a country like yours?
4: Yeah, I heard her say that. And, and um, you know, I think that's another, maybe one of the kind of misconceptions that, that really? the Americans have. Yeah.
1: What misconception? Um,
4: Finland has quite a few, uh, we've got, you know, lots of immigrants here, more and more. I mean, if you compare now to the 1990s, for example, um, just thinking of my daughter's classrooms, I think maybe half of the kids in her class maybe have one parent from a different country or... Huh. They themselves were born elsewhere. And granted, we live in a fairly big city, but I think that's increasingly true around Finland.
1: What kind of people? Where are folks coming from?
4: Oh, gosh. I mean, Finland's been accepting uh, refugees, for example, from different countries, you know, mm. for, for decades now. So so you've got, for example, uh, lots of Somalis. You've got people from Kosovo. You've got uh, Serbians. You've got Bosnians. You've got lots of Iraqis, people from Afghanistan. Uh, lots of Kurds, really just a, a, a big variety of people from all kinds of countries.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's funny. I I was Googling the, the like demographics of Finland while you were talking yes. to me. Uh, there seems to be some evidence that in spite of the changing demographics of the country, it's still an average of nine out of 10 folks there just about are white. Yes. Is that still the case?
4: Yeah, probably. That probably is still the case overall.
1: But it's changing, you say?
4: Yes, I think okay. it is. I mean, I was looking at some demographics. You know, in the 1990s, they had 60,000 foreign-born, and hmm. these days it's 350,000. Oh wow! Out of five five million total, yeah. So it's definitely that's a big you know, increase. Yeah, yeah a huge increase there.
1: All right. So then you are a resident of the happiest country in the world. I want you to share some advice for the rest of us sad sacks on how to be happy countries. What do you think is the biggest piece of advice that Finland might give to to everyone else about achieving number one happiness?
4: I I think I think something Finns do really well is um, like Finns are not afraid of silence, Hmm. even with other people. And I think sometimes just sitting with people who you love and who you enjoy being around, but just enjoying not even talking, just enjoying each other's company. That's something that's really valuable that I've learned since being here.
1: Now, when you're quiet like that over there, is there a lot of eye contact, too?
4: Not very much. Okay. No.
1: Okay. That and, and sounds better.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: what do you guys do for fun out there? Um, I hear there's a really interesting sport people over there enjoy that I have never heard of before.
4: Is it uh, – are you talking about the orienteering, running around in a forest with a map? Probably
1: that <laughs> yes. one. Even yes. just hearing you say it, I'm like, that is hilarious. <laughs> what is yes. orienteering?
4: Yeah, so our kids got into it, and, and I actually <laughs> love it. You you get a map. You get a compass. Okay. And you go running in the forest.
1: Without and, talking because you, to... you guys don't talk a lot. <laughs> <either.
4: laughs> silently. <laughs> silently. And you have to find these certain – it's it's like a scavenger hunt but without any treasures.
1: Huh.
4: You just, just go to certain points. And the kids will do this at PE at school. The teacher really? will tell them, here's a map. Go run around the forest. Try to be back in 45 minutes. And then that's it. You've got nine-year-olds running around in the forest it's really fun
1: so what I hear you saying is that I would greatly enjoy being (laughs) a student in Finland because that sounds like a blast so will you be doing that this weekend
4: Uh, not this the season just well the winter season just ended I did my last one on Wednesday I'm really sad about it but um, the summer the summer season will start up in a month or so we still got snow on the ground here so we gotta wait for that to go
1: away. okay Uh, stay happy over there in Finland I am so glad we got to talk thank you so much
4: Thank
1: you. All right. Have a good weekend. You too. Listeners, want to talk to you for this segment. Hit me up. Tell me what's going on in your neck of the woods. Email me at any time, any week. samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests today David Green, you know his voice from hosting Morning Edition, and up first, also here with Caitlin Dickerson, who covers immigration for the New York Times. Hello to you both. Hey, Sam. Hey, Caitlin.
2: Hey, Sam. Hey, David.
1: (laughs) So excited about that, you guys were.
2: Sorry, should I do it again? No,
1: you're good. You're good. So, you guys, it's time for our main story. Uh, A thing I've noticed over the last year or so is that a hot-button issue will flare up in the news, and we'll talk about it and ponder it and debate it. And then after a few days, we will often move on to something else. gone, yeah. One such issue for me right now that that's happening to is immigration. Yes. It hasn't been the story of this week, right? Mm -hmm. But there was some news this week on immigration, news about sanctuary cities. So because we have Caitlin here today, who is an expert on immigration policy. God we have Caitlin here today. I want her to break down for us the latest in sanctuary city immigration policy and what that means for the country. So first, before we get into all of that, I want you, Caitlin, to define for us clearly what we're talking about (laughs) when we use the term sanctuary cities?
2: Interesting request to begin the conversation, especially (laughs) since you just teed me up as an expert. But you know what? I can't help you with that, Sam. Okay. And it's not because I don't know what I'm talking about. It's because there's actually no such thing as a sanctuary city.
3: Whoa, whoa. Surprise. Good good place to start. Good place to start. A lot of people don't
2: realize this is a completely made up term that both Republicans and Democrats use at their whim and apply it To places and in reference to like totally disparate types of immigration policies and also just sometimes to like the cultural ethos of a place rather than policy itself Hmm. so. Donald Trump was the first person to start talking about sanctuary cities, or at least the first person to really widely popularize the f- phrase. And now, mm-hmm. of course, we hear it from Jeff Sessions all the time. And and generally, they both, when they refer to sanctuary cities, they mean places where local governments don't go out of their way to help immigration authorities enforce immigration law. Gotcha. But it doesn't always translate into policy. So there are mayors in liberal cities who have said, yes, we're a sanctuary city. We protect immigrants or governors mm-hmm. in states like New York. But and you have sheriffs in New York who are like, actually, I'm more than willing to help ICE and I'm turning people over to ICE left yeah. and right. Don't call me so, a sanctuary
3: city. Yeah. Exactly.
2: So so you can't. So just because a mayor or a governor is calling you know, their jurisdiction a sanctuary doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's just a very provocative term that gets yeah. people on both sides of the discussion riled really up. riled up. And that's why you hear it so much.
1: Gotcha. So now that we have undefined sanctuary cities (laughs) Uh, this term has been in the news a bit for three reasons first uh, California through their state house declared themselves I guess what a sanctuary state recently
2: so um, there are three separate laws that went into effect in January in California Uh that significantly limit the ability of sheriffs to participate and work with ice and of local officials to share information with ice they also employers also have to by a matter of law now announce to their staffs if they are being audited by ICE. Huh. So the result is that a business will make an announcement, hey, we're being audited by ICE, just so you know. They're going to look through all everybody's uh, immigration paperwork. And then if you're talking about, you know, a farm or a factory or a place that has a lot of undocumented workers, then all of a sudden you see a yeah. bunch of people quitting their jobs yeah. and leaving. Oh, interesting. And so, if you're
3: illegal, you're like, you get that warning, you're like, I could, I'm not going to come out. I'm out. And so yeah. then
2: ICE yep. doesn't have the opportunity to it's make the arrest right. that it gotcha. wants to make. That's yeah. why it's doing the audit to begin yeah. with.
1: So the reason that I want to talk about these California laws this week is because one town in California this week there you go. voted themselves basically out of the sanctuary state. Explain that, Caitlin.
2: They attempted
1: to. Yeah, which town was it, first of all?
2: It was Los Alamitos, which is in Los Los Angeles County Mm in Southern California. And they decided that they want the sheriff to, again, communicate with ICE. They want the sheriff to hold people on behalf of ICE. If somebody is there and undocumented and they get caught up in jail, they don't want that person to be released back out into the public. They want them in ICE custody and deported. And so they've passed this local legislation that really flies in the face of the state legislation. So, you know, who knows what that's going to look like, whether it's going to be challenged in court. It puts them in this bizarre, sandwich of rules which is inside of an even more confusing (laughs) sandwich that California the entire state exists in where you have these um, you have these state laws that go directly against what Jeff Sessions is calling for in policy and declaration and threats to withhold money, but also in some federal law, you yeah. know, the federal law that governs this auditing process that we talked about. So California was already in a bizarro bind of legislation, and now Los Alamitos has like added one more
1: yeah. twist. And so while that's happening this week in California... Almost the inverse is happening in Texas. So um, about a a bit over a week ago, a federal judge ruled that Texas could institute a sanctuary city ban. It went into effect. But several local law enforcement officials in big cities in Texas like Houston, Dallas, Austin have said, actually, we don't want to do that.
2: Right, right. So this Senate bill that passed SB 4 is what it was called, um, was really the the strictest anti-sanctuary legislation that I think the country had seen. It did everything from empower local law enforcement to, you know, when they pull somebody over on the side of the street to ask them for their immigration papers to also requiring people who pass through jails to be turned over however these sheriffs in these big cities are saying like we're not going to go out of our way for a variety of reasons including you know they don't have the resources to enforce immigration law because they're busy enough you know fighting crime to they don't want to alienate the immigrant population they want immigrants to continue reporting crimes and communicating with the police and so they don't want to create an us versus them sort of environment um to like we don't want to jump into the political fray uh this is too dicey an issue. Mm. And so it's really not going to look all that different on the ground in Texas. Hmm. That's what it looks like right now. That's what the sheriffs are saying. We'll see what it looks like in practice.
3: Can I ask ask a thing? Yes. So I was getting ready to interview um, Eric Garcetti, the mayor of L.A., and doing a a bunch of research and was reading about the so-called sanctuary rules in L.A. And I was stunned because in L.A., it goes back to this thing called Special Order 40, which was actually... A brainchild of Daryl Gates, who was seen as this like conservative, heavy-handed, militaristic, some called him racist LA police chief hmm. from mm-hmm. the Rodney King days. Mm-hmm. And he basically, surprisingly, as a conservative, yeah. set up this rule in LA that the police should not be asking people right. in their the status. city their status. Why? And right. his argument was because we need to keep the entire immigrant community in the city on our side. Exactly. And open we need, to calling the police. Open to calling the police. We need them to trust us huh. because they are key to solving crime oh, hmm. in this city. Mm-hmm. But I just always wonder, and Eric Garcetti has brought this up since talking about Chief Gates, like if, if people who support immigrant rights brought up that argument more often... I mean, Eric Garcetti said we just went after MS-13 and broke up a huge operation in L.A. Hmm. MS-13, I mean, Donald Trump is, he is against talking him. about right. them all the time. Like there seems to be some common ground here. But on an issue like this, it's just these two sides. It gets polarized yeah. and you get farther and farther away from from a productive
1: Discussion. Wait, are you saying, David Green, that an issue in our current politics is it's polarized? polarized? Know, it's crazy. And
2: that's in part because, you know, a lot of what the president and what Jeff Sessions are asking local officials to do is kind of unprecedented. They haven't done it before. And hmm. that, you know, historically... Law enforcement officials who work on the state and local level have not been enforcers of immigration law. And that's not just like a preference. That's a matter of federal law. Yeah, this
1: is really interesting. Break this down for me. There is a big distinction in civil and criminal law and how that affects immigration and how local law enforcement deals with it because of that distinction. Right.
2: Yes. Okay. So one of the things that you hear Jeff Sessions say more than sort of anything else on this sanctuary topic is that he wants sheriffs to hold immigrants in custody when they pass through the jails. So say they are arrested for a DUI or they're arrested for you know domestic violence or they're arrested for theft or whatever. Jeff Sessions, once their criminal case is completed, once they post bail or once they're sentenced and they've served their sentence, he wants sheriffs to hold those immigrants in jail until ICE can come and pick them up. Oh, so this well, is where
3: the president gets saying that like there Releasing thousands of people out of jail. This is exactly what what Jeff Sessions is saying. They're not holding them there. They're like he's saying they're dangerous and they're they're getting out.
2: exactly. They don't like immigrants being released back into the community. Well, here's why that happens. Because law enforcement, police, and sheriffs only have the constitutional authority to enforce criminal law, and violating immigration law is. A violation of civil code. So
1: a totally so, different thing. So
3: they can't legally do what the what the Trump administration is telling them to do.
2: No, according to multiple federal circuit courts, they cannot.
3: Huh. So this could go to the Supreme Court at some at some point. I mean, it, it
2: very likely will. But as of right now, in at, you know several federal circuits, it's considered an unlawful seizure for a sheriff to hold someone in custody beyond the resolution of their criminal case. She, and but, so what Donald yeah. Trump and Jeff Sessions are trying to make police and sheriffs do is totally different than anything we've ever seen in this country before. That doesn't mean that it's not going to work, but that just means there's no precedent for it. And so it's a big ask.
1: One last question. Uh, Given the ongoing fights over sanctuary cities and policy surrounding that issue in states Mm -hmm. like Texas and California, what do we see on the horizon for This issue of sanctuary cities.
2: I think you see more atomization, more fights, potentially more lawsuits on behalf of the Department of Justice against entire cities or entire states. And also lawsuits
1: from groups like the ACLU against. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: Those are those are a dime a dozen these days. And so, (laughs) you know, at some point, like we discussed earlier, I think you may eventually see this issue elevated to the Supreme Court. And until then, it's just going to be a total. I mean, a hot mess is kind of the only way to describe it.
1: You know, it's not a hot mess. What? This show. We're going to take one more break and we'll come back with a game that kind of is a hot mess. Who said that? Uh, You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back
0: support for this podcast and the following message come from discover card you check your email or social media all the time but discover asks what about checking something as important as your credit score well discover makes it quick and easy with their credit score card which is free for everyone even if you're not a customer See your FICO credit score and other important credit information. And once you know your score, you should check to see if your current credit card is the best fit for you. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply.
4: Hello, just dropping in to remind you about On Point, the NPR show where we take you behind the headlines. On Point talks with newsmakers and real people about issues that matter most. Listen to On Point now on NPR One or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests today. Caitlin Dickerson, who covers immigration for The New York Times. Hello. 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 And David Green, one of my favorite hosts with the most. He hosts two shows for NPR, Morning Edition, and a daily news podcast called Up First. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. You guys, it's time for my favorite game.
0: <laughs> who said that? Who so, said <laughs> uh,
1: that? This game is so simple and so scary. low stakes. It's fine. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that, or at least get close. Guess the story. Guess a keyword. We're not too tight about that kind of stuff. Uh, the winner, as you know, gets absolutely nothing. So, David, don't be scared. Um, I'm, you had one recently
3: where the answer was a French baker, and I got it when you I listened your show. And I was like, why can't that be the one when
1: I'm on the show? Because Should I ask it again? Yes. Okay. We'll French see. baker. <laughs> Ready for the first quote? Yes. I invited my wife to come and help. I left it to my wife, you know, to choose something. Who said that? Y'all know this. Well, see, this
3: is why I was terrified. This is why I was scared. You see that? It's somebody
1: this is so embarrassing. It's somebody in the administration.
2: Oh, okay. 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 Um, was it
1: I invited my wife to come and help. I left it to my wife, you know, to choose something. What do men often ask their wife to help them with? Pick out outfits? Pick out pick out, pick out What other stuff to pick Shoes. out. decor. Pick out a table.
3: To everything. Food. I asked my wife to pick in, out everything.
1: Who in I'm the administration smart. recently got in trouble for picking out a table that cost too much money? Oh, ben Carson. Yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs>
3: Wait. I'm really <laughs> having
1: to throw it at you guys this week. Well, were sorry. It's okay. This is Ben Carson. I don't think I get a point for that because you basically too late. Just take the point. Take it. Take it. So Ben Carson has been in trouble it. for a while because uh, it's come to a lot of folks' attention that he recently bought a thirty-one thousand dollar dining set, right. table included, for yeah. his uh, his office. At his post as chief of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Blaming his wife? And
2: then, yeah, at first totally he did. Blame he tried to blame had to his wife. walk
1: it back. And he has since responded and said yet again, I take responsibility. I bet you do. Yeah. I'm not married, but I feel like the first rule of marriage is don't throw your spouse under the bus. Let me tell you, I'm married. Right. That's the first rule of marriage. <laughs> okay. I believe it. Uh, so, yeah, that happened. Okay. Cheese. So David is kind of up, <laughs> but like, but,
3: but not feeling up. good about it at all. Yeah, not yeah. feeling good.
1: Ready for the second quote? Quote that leads us into talking about our tequila venture that we'll be coming out with. We just need to find a partner here in Mexico. Who said that? We really stumped you. Is it this George sweet. Clooney? He is a trendsetter in that regard, but Mm -hmm. now there's a bandwagon of folks trying to get up on that tequila stuff.
2: Is it a celebrity? It It is a celebrity
1: group. A celebrity group. Of singers. A boy band. Oh, oh. A
2: boy band. Just name boy bands. Backstreet Boys. Yes. (laughs) Backstreet Boys? Backstreet Boys.
1: (gasps) Yes. Congratulations, Caitlin. Yeah. So the Backstreet Boys announced that they want to launch a tequila company and get that Clooney money. But it might be tough to do because tequila is actually highly regulated. Hmm. It's only officially tequila if it's produced in Mexico's state of Jalisco.
2: From agave, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so the Backstreet Boys got to figure out if they can do it there.
2: Can we talk about how my boy band knowledge? You
1: got this. Yes. You get all the points. Between
2: Blink and Backstreet Boys.
1: Also, you know, as I thought about this story, I was like what type of alcohol would I most associate with the Backstreet Boys? It wouldn't be tequila. It'd Definitely be like not tequila. Zima, mm-hmm. yeah. Smirnoff Ice. Yeah. Yeah. Smirnoff
2: Ice, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: that. Anyway, so it's officially kind of tied. I'm going to give you one more that I just found hilarious. It was actually sent to us from a listener. Her name is Tessa Castellani. Here's the quote. It's not one man's job to tell another man what he can do to his back. I support him in all of his artistic expression. Who said that? someone famous not about a friend of his they have like a bromance that's been going on for years back. who has stuff on his back right now? Stuff.
2: Ben, on oh his... Ben Affleck yes oh good yes! job yes! Caitlin wait, wait 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 but did somebody say that about Ben someone Affleck? someone said it about did him did Matt Damon it, say it yes! about Ben Affleck? oh my oh. god
3: She just, like, blew me away. I was, like, (laughs) I was ahead. I was basically, I I was lulled into, yeah. Yeah, so the
1: backstory on this, for years it was suspected that Ben Affleck had a major big old back tattoo. Uh Like if someone sewed an Ed Hardy t-shirt to his back.
2: And he does.
1: And it was rumored to be a fake, but now there's new photos and it seems that it's actually real. It's the real thing. thing. And Matt Damon was like, leave my friend alone, let him do him. Brightly That's what colored. Are for. I want to say it's
2: like a falcon. It is. It's exactly. It's an Ed Hardy. It's an t-shirt Ed Hardy T-shirt on, his, on back. his back. If
3: either of you have a massive back tattoo, I am behind
1: it. <laughs> Thank you. you. Want to see? That's very yeah. sweet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Caitlin, congrats. You get absolutely nothing. Congratulations. <gasps> I get glory. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you I do. I great. All right, now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every week, we ask our listeners to share with us the best things that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Anjali, let's hit that tape. Hey, Sam. This is Chris from Fort Worth. About nine months ago, we used your show to announce that we found out we were pregnant. Yeah. Aww. And the best thing to happen to us last week is that we were finally able to deliver our little baby Keen into the world. That's great. Congratulations. And watch him just wiggle around huh. and make the grumpiest faces I've ever seen.
2: <laughs> hey, this is Hillary in Columbus, Ohio. And the best thing that happened this week is that I logged onto my husband's student loan account to figure out how he should go about
4: filing for public service loan forgiveness. Nice. Uh-huh. And his loans were already forgiven.
1: <gasps> Whoa! That's
4: awesome. I was offered a job with a dance company that I've only ever dreamed of being a part
3: of. Awesome. The best
4: part of my week was finding out that I got into my top two graduate schools.
3: Congrats. My son worked really hard and made his varsity baseball team yeah. this year. Aww.
0: My
1: girlfriend Katie was able to finally find the job she always wanted in Salt Lake City. Nice. Hi,
0: Sam. This is Andrea v, uh, from Helsinki, Finland via <gasps> Santiago the uh, Chile. Wow. And the best thing that happened to me this week was like a caller last week was getting Beyonce tickets <gasps> and see her yeah, with JC, of course, in Stockholm. Take me with you. Love the show. Thank you so much. Bye.
1: Hey Sam, this is Jules from Wellington, New Zealand. Hey Jules. We are building an urban winery in Wellington, and this week Uh we had customs come, and we're all good, um, to actually make wine and and then pay tax on on wine, Um, but we've also had the first grapes come in, and we've got some wine on the way, so... um, Yeah, I just want to say thank you for, um, it's been a minute, it keeps me going, um, and have a good one. Thank you for the wine you're going to send us.
2: Hi Sam, this is Katie from Indianapolis, and the best part about my week is that my husband and I just made it through security, and we made it onto the plane. We are headed to Beijing to move there for a year to work with kids at an orphanage with disabilities, and we're super pumped. That's That's awesome. Also... Got a lot of legroom. room.
4: <laughs> <laughs> hey Sam, this is Jesse from Knoxville, Tennessee. And the best thing that happened to me this week was my husband and I celebrated our 10-year anniversary in London, England. And my husband is a man of very few words, but he showed how much he loves me by taking me to all of the places that I have read and dreamed about going to. Aww. And to film my husband, who did this for me, Your actions speak so much louder than
3: your words. Thanks. Thanks. Love the show.
2: Have a great day, Sam. Bye. Happy wife, happy life.
1: Right? Yeah, totally. I love this. Special thanks to all the voices you just heard there. Chris, Hillary, Amelia, Kunchen, Chris again, Brady, (laughs) Andrea, and Jules with the wine. Uh, I drink wine. Let me know. We're coming. Yeah. Katie and her husband and Jesse, congrats on that 10 year anniversary. We listen to all these that come in. Please keep them coming. Also, send us dog pics and cat pics and pics of your parakeet. It's fine. Do that. Uh, you can always email us whenever you I love want the show. at samsanders at npr.org. Samsanders at npr.org. With that, uh, we're going to take it out with soon to be in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. Blink 182. Uh, two of the best people In my life this week Caitlin Dickerson At the New York Times David Green Here at NPR with me Thank you both for being here It was oh, fun Thank you Thanks so much so Thank you fun. All the small things I really I really did like them Back in the day
2: so, yeah, I was going to say Soon to be in Las Vegas And my first Or at least Most passionate crushes
3: Really? Like really? Two. Which member? Which one?
2: Okay so Here's the thing About boy bands With Tell us young the thing. Young women As I recall Is uh-huh. that each member of a friend group gets one crush. Like you can't both have, have a crush. Oh, Tom. you, you have to like work. decide
3: who gets who. That's amazing. Okay. So
2: I was a Travis girl, and what I don't remember is if that was my own choosing or if that was like what I was left with. But, but what does it matter? Um, Travis has tattoos. Yeah.
1: <laughs> This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Steve Nelson is our director of programming, and the show was edited this week by Jeff Rogers and Allison McAdam. Our big boss, who signs the checks, is NPR's VP of Programming, Anya Grundman. Refresh your feed Tuesday morning. You're going to hear a really interesting meta audio chat uh, with me, Alex Bloomberg of Gimlet Media, and Zach Braff, nice. who is bringing one of Alex Bloomberg's podcasts to mm-hmm. ABC as a TV show. So we literally have a radio episode about a TV show about, about a radio. podcast. That's and that podcast itself is a podcast about a guy starting up a podcast company.
4: Whoa. That's everything Mind
1: blown. I ever dreamed of. Check your feeds on Tuesday for that. Also, I got to ask our listeners one more quick favor before we close this sucker out. Uh, we need you to go to iTunes and review us. I'm not going to tell you how many stars to give us. Just go there and do something. Say something. Uh, to paraphrase the words of one of my favorite songs, if you like it, then you need to put a rating on it. Put a rating on the show. That was good. Thank you. Uh-huh. I like that. Thank you. I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. Go to iTunes, kids. That
2: was a bit of a stretch.
1: Listen. work. What am I Worked about a bit me. of a stretch?
2: <laughs> this is true. Yeah.
1: All right, guys. Until Tuesday, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Na 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 Perfect, David. What was it like to see in person?
3: It was amazing. I'll video it next time. I was focused.